I want to invite you right now just to, to take a moment and think about somebody who has served you. I just invite you to, to, to take a moment and, and just picture somebody who has served you. And it, it could be as simple as somebody who has, uh, who has served you at a restaurant or, or a business, but, but you might also think about somebody who's really helped you in life. Maybe, maybe you can think of somebody who just was there at a particular time and, and met a need in your life. Maybe, maybe it was somebody in your life who, when you were feeling really low, made you, made you feel sure that you were loved. And you picture somebody in your mind's eye. Maybe, maybe think of somebody who just showed up for you because they knew in a low time that you, you weren't going to want to be alone. Maybe you can think, think of somebody who brought you your favorite food because they knew you needed to be cheered up or your favorite Starbucks drink, whatever that might be. Maybe somebody that showed up to fix something for you that you just couldn't fix yourself. I can see some... You can see some smiles even in the dark. I think we smile because when we think of somebody who has served us, we realize that, right, serving, it puts goodness and joy into the world. Right, there's, there's power, God's power in, in serving others. Do you ever think about it that way? Like serving others puts God's joy and the love of Jesus into the community. This month at Clay Church, we're talking about servant hearts. We're exploring what the Bible has to say about about serving one another, what a servant heart looks like. All with the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' words in the Gospel of Matthew at the center. Jesus says this, The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Today we're going to explore both the Old and the New Testament and specifically about what it looks like, what the invitation is as servants to share gifts. Before we dive in, though, let's, uh, let's pray. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for the opportunity to be present today for your words that, that guide us. God, as we hear these words today, just open our minds and our ears to hear what you would have to say to each one of us. Open our hearts to know the deep love that you have for each one of us. And in and through these words, God, just remind us of this incredible invitation to share that love with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you remember the fire at Notre Dame, the cathedral in Notre Dame a few years ago? I think it was maybe 2019. Doesn't feel sometimes like it was that long ago. It was tragic, right, to see this incredible building in flames. Maybe some of you have, have been there. You've witnessed the stained glass and the vaulted ceilings and, and had that sense of awe in that place. And just to, to see the, the flames jumping out of it, it was like it was hard, to, it was hard to see. Something else, though, struck me as kind of tragic in the, in the time that followed that fire, Politicians, they spoke of how, the, of how the cathedral would be repaired faster than ever because it, was a, uh, because it was a symbol of France. 
$750 million, actually, I think it was 750 million euros were pledged within 24 hours. That's even more than $750 million, right? Pledged in 24 hours with statements about the strength of a people and, and of a nation. Even the Pope made a, a statement that got national attention about the cathedral belonging to the people. Do you know what no one seemed to talk about? Or at least nobody quoted this publicly? Nobody said anything about God. What seemed a bit tragic was, was what was missing in all of those statements. No one said, we're going to rebuild to glorify God. Nobody said we're going to, how much this place means in connecting people to God, and that's why we're going to, to rebuild. And it, it led me to ask this question. It's like, where did the primary worship of God in this cathedral that was built to, to center people in, in the majesty of God, where, where did this Worship of God no longer become the primary focus of the cathedral. What does this gift of incredible architecture and symbolism point to and, and represent if, if not God? Today we're going to explore a story of another sanctuary, much older, although it no longer is in existence. And we're going to explore how it was built and we're going to explore why it was built. We're going to pick up the story in Exodus 35, but to give you some, some background, Moses and, and the people has led the people out of Egypt. They've, they've fled slavery in Egypt, and they're now in the wilderness, and they're struggling. Like, they're trying to figure out what life looks like in the wilderness. Everything in their life has been upturned, and it's really important to them that they know that God is not going to abandon them, that God is present with them. And so Moses, he receives these instructions from, from God for the people, and in the instructions are the Ten Commandments and, and other instructions about how to be the people of God, and then included in those instructions are the way to build a tabernacle. Think, think giant tent. Actually, think cathedral that you can take with you. There are these instructions to build this tabernacle, so that the people will know God's presence at the heart of their community. That's the purpose of the tabernacle. In Exodus, in Exodus 35, we find the instructions, and I'm going to read them to you, but I, I need to read them with a warning first. Um, how many of you are detail people? Like when you have a project, you want every detail written out? Because you're really going to like this passage in the Bible. How many of you are not detail people? She's like, can you just get to the meat of what you're saying? Okay, you're going to struggle with this passage. I want you to just listen for the, the words, those who are willing, or those, uh, those who uh, have their heart right, okay? All right, here we go. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, 
Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastplate. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasps, frames, crossbars, posts, and bases. The ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it. The table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence. The lampstand that is for light with its accessories, lamps and oil for the light. The altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense. The curtain for the doorway at the entrance to the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils. The bronze basin with its stand. The curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases. And the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard. The tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes. The woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary. Both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Did I mention a lot of details? There's more. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for all the sacred garments. All who were willing Men and women alike came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or the other durable leather brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. Every skilled woman spun with her hands and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, or fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had the skill spun the goat hair. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. They also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord freewill offerings for all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do so. God offers this amazing invitation. Everyone who wants to experience my presence, God says, everyone who is willing, like bring your offerings together. Bring your gifts together and I will dwell with you. My spirit will guide you. All who are willing. The tabernacle would become this place at the center of the community where people were encouraged, where they were cared for, where they were assured of God's presence, where they would see God's glory. That's why people were invited to give, not just to create some amazing tent, but so that... God's presence would be known and felt and experienced at the center of their community. Now, it's really easy to get overwhelmed by all the details, right? We're not used to to reading something, and it's easy to sort of glance over them, but I hope we can see something else in all of those details, which is all of the different gifts that were brought together, 
right? God's dwelling with the people is going to happen when they just share freely of, of all of their different gifts, stuff, and resources, and abilities, and talents. Men and women from all walks of life are going to share what they can do, sewing, and, uh, and curtain work, to woodwork, and, and metalworking, right? Garments, and money, and gold, and silver, and jewelry. It's all coming together. Every gift matters. We didn't read this far, but in chapter 36, uh, this is my favorite part of the story, actually. Maybe we should have read this part, too. In chapter 36, the administrators of this whole project, the people Moses puts in charge, they come to Moses, and they're like, we need the people to stop bringing gifts. We have too much. We can't use or distribute it all. They need to stop. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? For the church in the, in the world today to be like, whoa, we have so much, we can't even distribute it all anymore to, to care for people. What would that look like today? That'd be a great problem to have. But you know what the, the best part of the story is? We see it in, the, as I said, we see it in the, in the details. We see it in the fact that it doesn't just mention two or three people who like sponsored this project to put their, put their name on it. It's not about a few rich people who sponsored this project. It's about the entire community coming together. Everybody contributed from the sacrifice of a single pair of gold earrings that I'm sure somebody brought and said, I, I don't know if you can use these, but this is, this is what I have to offer. To people who, who gave some of their finest garments, took them out of their closets and said, I don't know, but I, I want to I create this place where God is dwelling with us. And so I'm, I'm going to give these, some of my finest clothes to those who could sew, to those who could build, to somebody who, I just imagine that they had somebody who could hang curtains straight. Like that was somebody's gift because some of us know it's not ours. And then there was somebody to administrate it all. I don't know about you all, but, but the idea is people, we, they had to have had some administrators to make all of this happen. All of these gifts, every gift matters in bringing God's presence to the heart of a community. Every gift matters, no matter how big or how small. And all this leads to a question we might ask today. A question, perhaps for us individually, but maybe as we think about the church in the world today, like what holds us back? As people, as a, as a church, it could be argued that the church, that the followers of Jesus in the world today, like, like we have access to enough resources to, to transform our world into Christ-like, God-centered, grace-filled communities. So why, why doesn't that happen? And there are lots of reasons, right? We could list political reasons and and um, social science reasons. We could, we could talk about scholarly studies about giving trends and, and how, how giving trends have moved among people of faith. But, but at the heart of it is, I think, a spiritual question. At the heart is a, is a question we might ask both ourselves and encourage us as the, the church, as followers of Jesus, to ask and I, I think the question is, is centered in, in a story that some of you may know. 
after the great fire of 1666 that, that leveled London, the chief architect, or the best-known architect at the time was Christopher Wren, and he was invited to rebuild St. Paul's Cathedral in London. The story goes, and I don't know if the story is, is true or just an anecdote, but the story says that one day Wren was on the work site, and he was walking along, kind of looking at the work that was happening, when he came across some bricklayers. And he approached the first bricklayer, and he, he just asked him a simple question. He's like, so, so what are you doing? And the bricklayer responded, I'm, I'm laying bricks so I can earn money to feed my family. And Christopher Wren went a little further, and he came across another bricklayer, and he asked him the same question. He's like, what are you doing? And the second bricklayer replied, I'm a builder, and I am going to build the most amazing wall that you have ever seen. And then Christopher Wren approached the third bricklayer, and as he approached, he saw his enthusiasm and the pace of his work. You'd see he was, was enjoying it, and he said, said the same question. He's like, what are you doing? And the third bricklayer said, I am building a cathedral that will glorify God Almighty. The story, it's been used to talk about perspective and, and vision, and, and those, are, those are great lessons, important lessons, but I think there's another spiritual question at the heart of it. What is the focus of our lives? The focus of our work, of our play. We might ask it this way, how does your life glorify God? How do our lives glorify God? And even as I say glorify God, I realize that that's a, that's a pretty churchy term, right? So perhaps we could ask ourselves, and ask ourselves the question another way, like, like how, does, how does my life, what does my life point to? When I'm at work, when I'm at home, when I'm at play, what, what is my life pointing toward? Does my life magnify the love of God, the power of, of God's presence? Does it show God's love and God's care for all of God's creation? Or, or does my life show my focus on myself or just on my family, on my comforts, on my success and my achievements? Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth. And in it, he invites them, I think, to reflect about this question, like, how does your life point to Jesus? How does your life reflect the, the love of Jesus? We're going to read his words in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I think you'll hear some echoes of God's word through Moses in the book of Exodus. This is what Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, insert, willing giver. 
And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul tells this community, the church, the people of God, Right, the community that you desire. The, the people you are designed to be by God is a people of servant heart and goodness that share so abundantly that people want to know this God that you believe in, want to know this Jesus that you follow. The community that, that we desire Right? The fulfilled lives that, that we seek. How many times have, have, you, have you thought or you've been in a conversation where somebody talks about fulfillment in life, the fulfilled lives that we seek? They come in helping to create a world where everyone is provided for. Everyone is cared for. And that world, that world is built by the people of God, by us. When we open our hearts, it's built by servant hearts and sacrificial lives. It's the way that Jesus showed us. The second part of our vision at Clay Church is igniting passions to serve where God calls. Right, this idea, it's at the heart of, of who we are. Each week at Clay Church, we share a covenant, a, a promise at the end of service. We'll, we'll do so today. And in that, in that promise, uh, we first commit to reach up to God each day. And then, you know what comes next? Right? We promise to commit to reach up to God each day and reach out to serve someone this week. To serve someone this week. You see, Paul's words, this invitation in our vision and in our, in our promise, the words of, of God through Moses, they aren't designed to, to judge or to induce guilt. Oh, you're not serving enough or you're not doing enough. No, instead, they're, they're designed as this invitation to participate in the work of God in our world, to bring glory to God. Our covenant is our yes to say, God, I want to I experience the fulfilled life you give by being part of a, of a community that creates this kind of, 
this, this kind of community filled with grace and goodness and love. This is the gift of offering ourselves in service to others. And I asked what, what, what's holding us back. Well, I think one of the things that sometimes holds us back is we think, well, I don't have any special gifts to give. I don't have any particular spiritual gifts. I'm not rich. I can't give a lot of money to help with things. I'm not particularly talented in, in any way. I, or, or maybe you've said, I, I haven't felt like I have any real time to serve. I'm so busy with these other things in life. I, I just, I can't make time for service. And I want to lovingly say this with a word that my mom used when she would lovingly address me when I was making lots of excuses about why I couldn't. She would say, that's a bunch of bularkey. Right, because here's the thing. The reality is God doesn't need superheroes. God, God and Jesus doesn't need us to be the Coco Groff now of our jobs. Right, every gift matters. No matter how big, no matter how small, which means we can serve wherever we are in whatever we do. Whatever we do, we can do for the glory of God. However we spend our time at work, at, at home, it, it can all be, we can always be reflecting on how is this, how is this sharing the love of Jesus? How is this reflecting the greatness of the God I know to others? Martin Luther King Jr. has this great quote um, that's often quoted that he, he gave at uh, high school addresses. And it, it, there are at least a couple different instances of it. And I always hesitate to quote Martin Luther King Jr. because when I read it, it's like it just isn't the same in Brian's voice as it is in, in his voice. But it's such a great teaching. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, So we must set out to discover what we are called to do and what we are made for. And then after we discover it, we should set out to do it with all the strength and all of the power that we have in our system. When you discover your life's worth, set out to do it so well that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it better. And no matter what it is, never consider it insignificant if it is for the upbuilding of humanity. It has cosmic significance. And so if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Raphael painted pictures. Sweep streets like Michelangelo carved marble. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. When this gets quoted by Martin Luther King, it's often in the school setting, but it's part of a sermon that he gave more than once called The Three Dimensions of the Complete Life. And in this sermon, we should hear as we think about these scriptures today from Exodus and, and Corinthians, we should hear what he, he goes on to say. He says, the fact that you are here means, I guess, that at least you agree there is a God. But you know there is a distinction between intellectual assent and real belief. Intellectual assent is merely agreeing that something is true. Belief is acting like it is true. 
And so often, we find people who agree that there is a God, and they pay lip service to God, but they live as if there is no God in the universe. These are the people who have a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds. There's the line. I just can't do it like he does it. Right? But, but how rich. A, a high blood pressure of creeds. We say the right things, but our lives, they don't glorify God. They don't express the love of God for others. An anemia of deeds. And then Martin Luther King Jr. goes on to say, I submit to you this morning that an individual hasn't begun to live until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all of humanity. That is why we serve. Not because it's commanded, not because we feel guilty, but because to serve is to live to meet the needs of others is to experience the greatest of what God offers us, to, to live into the invitation that God has for each one of us. Paul says this service that you perform, it's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, although it is, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. We serve with whatever we gifts to have because it points to the God we love and spreads that love into community. I feel incredibly blessed. I hope you do too, to be part of a church, right, that has, has this igniting passions to serve at the center of our DNA. We are blessed to be Jesus followers who don't just speak it on Sunday mornings, but I think, I hope, that we seek to live it every day and every moment of our lives. And with this joy, I think, comes an invitation to us to keep asking, how are we doing that? How might you use your gifts to spread Joy and goodness, where you work, where you play, in your homes, through our church ministries, through other serving ministries in our community. And maybe you're thinking, man, I'm already enjoying serving in, in lots of ways, and that is awesome. And maybe today you're, you, you haven't even thought that you could and today is an invitation to explore. And maybe you've, you've been that person that's been like, I, I just don't have time to serve. And, and you're hearing an invitation now. I, mean, I can serve right where I am. I hadn't thought about that. God, how can you use me where I am planted now in my work at school? Maybe you've sensed the Holy Spirit nudging you. And you've just been kind of pushing it aside. And today is the day the Holy Spirit says to you, step in. Step into this nudge and be blessed because I've got some amazing things for this community to do together and I want you to be a part of that. When we serve, we experience God's presence. When we serve, we transform communities by the love of Jesus. And it begins not with anything dramatic. It just begins with saying to Jesus, yes, I want to have a servant heart. Yes. I want to share testimony to your goodness wherever I am. I want to close today with just a, a couple of minutes of prayer. And I want to invite you in this time just to, I just pray the Holy Spirit might speak to you, might speak to us. And we're going to put some questions on the screen and 
If you need a guide for your conversation with, with God, just you can use those questions as a guide. They're, they're questions about your gifts and, and how you might use them. But maybe, maybe you don't need the guide. Maybe, maybe you just need to say yes to Jesus. There are times in my prayer life where I, I just sit down, I'm like, yes, Jesus. Okay, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Like, I just have to keep repeating it until I mean it. Whatever it is for you today, I just want to invite you in a, in a couple moments of prayer to, to let the Holy Spirit be your guide, to listen, to know God's presence. Let's pray.